So you get laid off. You try to just land on your feet. Were you strategic about what you did next? Or did you kind of just say, I need to just get my foot in the door somewhere and I'll figure it out? It was a little bit of everything. So definitely survival mode kicked in because bills still needed to be paid. But I did use that opportunity, I'll say strategically, to explore other interests. Because up until that point, my life had been very linear. And I think that's the case for a lot of us. School teaches us what comes next. So the average person, K through 12th grade, and then freshman year through senior year, if you go on for a bachelor's degree, it's pretty readily planned what classes you're going to take, what requirements you need to fulfill. And so the strategy for me was to say, hey, I'm now in a place where there's a, a blank canvas. Let me take some time to really think about and try to discover what I like and what I want to do. Welcome to Smart Career and Money Moves, a podcast for professionals seeking fulfillment and purpose in their careers. Each week, we will sit down with experts and trailblazers to discuss the ups and downs of finding and following your passions, whether it's through climbing the corporate ladder, starting a business, or launching a side hustle. So let's get into the show. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Smart Career and Money Moves podcast. Today, we have Ulyssia Dennis. She is the Director of Engineering and Career Services at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And let me tell you, she's got a lot going on. She is first-gen college graduate. She's charting a new path for her family. Uh, she's reinvented her career multiple times in the last 17 years. Of course, we love to hear that. She's doubled her salary, totally a fan in the last five years. And she thrives on helping people discover and communicate their value, which is a big, big, big value of mine. So I'm going to want to dive into all of that. Welcome to the show, Ulyssia. Thank you for having me, Jerry. I mean this truly, truly. I'm such a fan of your work and your content on LinkedIn has helped me even in my coaching with the students that we serve at the Granger College of Engineering at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Lovely, lovely. There's so much to unpack. I want to dive right on into it, but I want people to understand the journey, your journey specifically to getting to where you are, where you are now. So I really want to start way back in the beginning. And I want to start with, you started your education in business administration. You could have taken that literally anywhere. How did you land on your niche as HR? So I'll say this, when I think about how I landed on my niche in HR, it speaks to something that I value that I think is so critical for everybody's professional and personal journey, which is relationship. So when I was completing my undergraduate degree in business administration, initially, I thought I wanted to go into marketing, but I was fortunate to have a best friend who was also a business admin major. And she had a very clear focus for where she wanted to go in her career, which was human resources. So I actually found out what HR was. And ultimately, the graduate program that I enrolled in and completed and 
through that process, got my start in HR was because my best friend put me on. And without that relationship with her, I don't know that I would have known what HR was and that it was a good fit for me at that time in my career. So I encourage people to make sure you are surrounding yourself with intelligent people, people who are smarter than you and people who care enough about you to inform you and introduce you to opportunities and maybe even point out gifts and abilities that you have in yourself that you don't see. I, She was like, you need to check this out because I think this is aligned with who you are as a person. And so I landed on HR because of a great relationship that I was blessed to have. Awesome. And so you did that for a while. You went to a couple of different companies. Talk to me about the height of that career. What point did you feel successful in that? Oh, I never did, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) And a part of it is because I was still fairly young in life. So I went straight to a master's program immediately after I finished my bachelor's degree program. The HR program that I went to, do a little shameless plug-in, the School for Labor and Employer Relations here at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, top HR grad program, 90-something, probably 98% placement rate. So I had that beautiful opportunity to start the career at HR, but for me, Ulyssia at 22, 23, going into that, I really didn't yet have the personal and professional maturity to thrive in the midst of all the fantastic opportunities that were given to me. And so as an HR practitioner, I don't know that I I peaked, but I got what I needed more than anything else were some important life lessons about professionalism about communication, about relationship building and influencing people when you don't have authority over them, but you still need their full cooperation to execute your goals. So while there wasn't some salary or title that I hit, I look back on those years and I'm so grateful for how it just shaped me into a more mature person and professional that's now able to succeed in whatever I do. How long were you in that journey before obviously something happened and you decided to make a change? So I was fortunate to do an HR development program, which I highly recommend for any listeners who are recent graduates or new professionals. If you can find within your field a development program, please give that a good consideration. I was in that program for about four years. I was able to rotate through three areas in HR. So I worked as an organizational development consultant. I then became a talent acquisition specialist, specifically in the area of university relations and university recruiting. And then I went on to be a benefit analyst. All three of those rotations, which again, although I wasn't mentally mature enough to maximize it gave me skills and knowledge and relationships that I use today. So the change came in. It was actually a change that I needed, but that I didn't have to necessarily choose because I was a part of a large layoff. Oh, okay. This was around the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. And so I was one of several thousand people at TI, Texas Instruments, was the organization that I was at, and especially in many other companies who lost a job. And for me, it actually was a blessing because 
it gave me an opportunity to then explore and think about some other passions. One of my great care abouts and values, you know, the first one I mentioned was relationship. The next one is impact and doing work that I believe does good for others. So when the door opened for me to transition out of HR, which I did later come back to in some different ways, I then moved into pursuing career opportunities in the non-for-profit sector, using and building on a lot of the skills and experiences I had when I was in a, a bona fide HR role. So you get laid off, you try to just land on your feet. Were you strategic about what you did next? Or did you kind of just say, I need to just get my foot in the door somewhere and I'll figure it out? It was a little bit of everything. So definitely survival mode kicked in because bills still needed to be paid. But I did use that opportunity, I'll say strategically, to explore other interests. Because up until that point, my life have been very linear. And I think that's the case for a lot of us. School teaches us what comes next. So the average person K through 12th grade, and then freshman year through senior year, if you go on for a bachelor's degree, it's pretty readily planned what classes you're going to take, what requirements you need to fulfill. And so the strategy for me was to say, hey, I'm now in a place where there's a, a blank canvas let me take some time to really think about and try to discover what I like and what I want to do. So some of that involved vocational ministry. Um, I did some studying at seminary, um, was continuing to do some real heavy service within my local church at that time. But then also I was developing more of a curiosity about what HR and people impact looks like not in a corporate setting, but in a non-for-profit setting. So I did intentionally move into a role in a non-for-profit organization where I spent four years as the administrator and insurance claims processor for a mental health clinic. So I was able to take, yeah, I was able, how I got that was my last stint in my HR role at TI, I was a benefits analyst. So I was able to take that skill set and move it into this environment where for many people that have access to health insurance coverage, they can then get access to mental health services. So I understood how health benefit plans work. I understood the claims process. And again, I was able to transfer that skill into this new environment where the bottom line was not shareholder wealth. It was people's wellness and well-being. Right. And I love that you mentioned blank canvas because same thing happened to me, right? I wouldn't be coaching if I wasn't laid off. Like I had always said I wanted to start a coaching business, but like you mentioned, my career had just been very linear. I went to college, you get the job and you just continue to climb up that ladder. And a lot of people look at you know, some change in employment as strictly being a negative thing, but you're literally the third or fourth person who's been on the podcast who has strategically used that break to figure things out. I don't think we realize how much we're in the doing, right? We're just every day after day after day. And 
you really need a break to think and figure things out. So many people feel unfulfilled and it's like, but have you actually stopped to (laughs) check in on yourself and look for that fulfillment? So, I mean, you just said a lot of great things there. So I just want to touch on that. Absolutely. And if I can say real quick, people need to hear that right now. I mean, the time is happening again. It's happening again. And so people who may be listening, I hope they're encouraged by your story, by my story, by other guests on the podcast who took something that could be initially seen as negative and made it a positive because we took advantage of that opportunity for exploration that a linear path does not always allow. So I'm glad you brought that up, Jerry, (laughs) because it's happening. It's now and people need to have hope that life is not over, their career is not over, their dreams are not over. If anything, this might be the time where they're going to discover their dreams for real, for real. Say that again, right? So you've already reinvented yourself like three or four times at this point. How do we even make the jump to career services? So another value, you know, there are these common threads in my experience. So one, relationships, two, work that does good for others, and three, transferable skills, okay? So in the same way that I was able to take my corporate experience as a benefit analyst and move that into becoming the administrative leader in a non-for-profit mental health organization, I actually had then taken that health benefits knowledge and experience and I moved back into corporate and was a project manager at United Health Group for a couple of years. So I was a part of a team of project managers who helped launch health and wellness websites for the different customers, corporate customers mainly who purchase healthcare plans from United Health Group. Well, during that time, a good friend of mine was working for a non-for-profit organization that needed an HR generalist. And in my experience in HR, I had always been a specialist. And I thought, well, hey, this would be a good chance to try my hand at that. I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't a good fit for me. And at that point, I said, okay, it's time to reinvent again. So at this point, Jerry, I'm on reinvention, maybe number five. Okay. (laughs) But at this point, I had developed that self-awareness and fortunately wasn't forced into it through a layoff. I actually, while I was still working, just took the time to pause and say, where do I go from here? What's going to be a good mix of my skills, my abilities, as well as things that I care about? And I asked myself this question, what was the most fun I ever had at work? I don't remember why that question came to me, but I asked myself that question. What is the most fun you ever had at work, Ulysses? And it was when I was a campus recruiter at Texas Instruments. I loved working with students. I loved using my HR background to help my organization succeed by bringing in talent that we needed, but also felt like I was able to give back to a future generation of leaders. And so I thought, well, career services, that's a great way to take the skills and ability from my talent acquisition, specifically in tech, and use it in a setting where I know for sure I'll be having an impact. Um, So I started intentionally looking for career services roles, found my first one as a career services coach, 
on my current team. I've been with the same team now for five years and I'm on my fourth role on the same team over the past five years. But that's how I got there. Just again, fortunately this time I wasn't forced into it because of a layoff, but that layoff experience gave me the ability to recognize when I need to reflect. And that was what I came up with. Were you ever nervous about making any of these moves? This is what I see a lot of in the job space. People are literally frozen and they're just scared to make a decision. And they're just waiting. They're asking anybody, somebody help me make this decision. And it's like, those answers come from within. But once you get the answer, how did you push through? What gave you the confidence that like, this is something I should try next? Yeah. So I think it's a combination of one, just life. I grew up just kind of scrappy. Okay. Just my family upbringing. We just had to make it happen, right? We didn't have time to allow fear to paralyze us. I think there was some of that from my life experiences. You got to pay bills when you got to think about where you're going to live it can help you limit the amount of time that you spend in your head when you just got to do it. So that survival instinct is something that's just a part of me through my life experiences. But the second thing, Jerry, is when you try and it works, it builds your confidence. And then when you keep trying and it keeps working, it builds your confidence. But you don't get that win and you don't get that confidence until you try. So By the time I got to career services, I had 12 or 13 years of just trying and fortunately winning. And I'll also say I had the experience of failing and recovering that also boosted my confidence. So I think a lot of times we don't try because we're afraid that it's not going to work. And we think, well, if it doesn't work, then it's all over. But when you've had a setback or even a a flat out failure and you recover and you come out on the other side and you can say, not only did I survive that, but I learned through it. I grew through it. You become less afraid to make mistakes. So that's how I just like, okay, let's do this. And honestly, I thought, what's the worst that could happen? I had proven to myself that you hate it. I know how to get a job. And you go do something else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm going to go do something else. It's very freeing when you get to that point. I know that at some point we'll talk about some of what I shared about being able to double my salary. That was how. <laughs> I'm going right there because you kind of led us in with this is your fourth position in the same organization. And from my research, they've been a promotion. Here's the cheat code to making a career pivot or to getting promoted. First, you need the skills to do the job or the ability to learn how to. Second, you have to be able to market and sell yourself as the best candidate for the job. I created the Career Brand Accelerator as a professional development program to help you become a master at marketing and selling your skills so that you will always have the tools you need to make a career change. Because let's be honest, it's easy to get a new degree or certification or even to revamp your resume, but nothing quite prepares you for establishing your brand and for finding out what makes you unique so that you can stand out from the other job candidates in today's competitive job market. I have good news for you. You don't have to navigate your career on your own. 
Visit thecareerbrandaccelerator.com to learn more about how to pivot into your next role and how to level up your career without new degrees and certifications and without applying for tons of jobs online. So what is the secret to being promoted four times and doubling your salary in five years? Absolutely. So the first one wasn't technically a promotion. I shocked myself on this experience, but I started working at the Granger College of Engineering as a career coach, was loving it. Two weeks into the job, the person who was our assistant director of employer engagement moved on to a new university. So we had an opening on the position. Given my background in recruiting and working in a corporate setting, my director at that time asked if I would lead the search efforts. We were preparing for the search. Fortunately, the timing was right in that we hadn't opened the applications, but we were just in conversations. And as I looked at that job description, everything in me was saying, I can do this job. Mind you, this is now four weeks into me just starting my current position. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a record. I ain't met nobody's jump jobs in four weeks. <laughs> well, this was the thing. I didn't get the job within the four weeks. It was within the four weeks that this opportunity, opportunity. was unexpectedly available. And in higher education in particular, the way a lot of people advance is because an opening became available. And I, I was able to see that fairly quickly. And I realized that I don't know when I'm going to be up for a promotion to become an assistant director. And I don't know when another opening is going to come around. But as you said, a lot of times we're looking for something external to guide us, but the answer is already in us. I knew within myself that I needed to apply for that job. So I spoke to my leaders, asked for their support to recuse myself from the search so that I could apply. I applied for the position. Fortunately, I was the best person for the job. And that move was about an $8,000 salary increase and a significant title increase. I started that role within four months. The first job Still pretty record-ish. <laughs> yeah. And all because I just had to try. I said, the worst that will happen is I don't get it and I still have a job and I still have an opportunity to keep learning and growing and advancing. You know, that's something I was actually just reflecting on before we started our chat today. Some opportunities are not going to always be there. And I'm forgetting who the author is, but I heard a quote years ago that said that opportunities of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. Again, I don't know how long it would have taken for me to either be promoted into an assistant director job or for an assistant director job to open up and one that was a good fit for what I have to offer. So that was a, a significant risk with a very big reward. Wow. You beat me. So you made a jump in four months. My record is six months, but it was a similar opportunity. My manager up and quit. And it's like, now this opportunity is here and I got to go after it. Just like you said, it's like, I don't know when the next time this going to come around. I got to be ready. So what happened after that? This is your first promotion. 
does a similar situation happen the next three times? Pretty much, yes, which leads to one, moving when a door opens. So for the next promotion, I realized that while I love recruiting, I loved preparing students for the recruiting process. And in that assistant director of employer engagement role, I was pretty much interacting mostly with employers, coaching them, consulting with them on how to effectively connect with our students so that they could get the talent that they needed. I was leading a small team where we were in charge of creating recruiting opportunities. So things like large scale career fairs. We had a a very large space where companies could come on campus and reserve that space to do on-campus interviews and all things, how to create these spaces for employers to engage with our students and how to educate employers on strategies that would help them be successful. But I really missed the students. I really missed coaching. And so I started looking around for other opportunities to get back into coaching our engineering students. But at this point, Another lesson that I had learned, which goes back to one of my core values of relationship, I had built a great reputation for how I collaborated with people throughout the Granger College of Engineering, throughout the career services community on my campus. We're a decentralized school in that you have one university, and and actually we have the University of Illinois system. So University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, we're the the flagship campus. Then you've got University of Illinois at Springfield, University of Illinois at Chicago. But then if you just take Champaign-Urbana, you have this large university with individual colleges, most of which are self-contained and have their own career services teams. And then we have a centralized career services team. I have built relationships across campus with my colleagues in career services in other colleges. So people knew me, they knew my work ethic, they knew the ways that I would show up, they knew that I could execute and deliver outcomes. And so it was easier for me at that point to find openings and you know be in a good position to get a, a strong consideration. But once again, someone transitioned out of an associate director job to a different college. And at that point, I had a competing offer, which then allowed me to negotiate for that particular role without having to apply for it. So kind of the lesson there was continuing to stay ready, but also I'll say the relationship that people have with their direct supervisor is so critical especially if you have a direct supervisor who's supportive. And I I know that sadly, everybody doesn't have that. But in my case, I was fortunate to work for somebody who wanted to see me grow and wanted to keep my contributions on her team. So when I was transparent with her about wanting to move back into a situation where I could coach and impact students, she was willing to help me find a way to do that within my team. And so that's how I then became an associate director. And then interestingly enough, what happened to you, Jerry, has happened for me. Now I'm, I'm in an interim role as we're thinking about what's best for the team at this point, but 
again, the ways that I've applied myself in every position that I've had with my current team, the ways that I've learned to make my work visible outside of my team and to develop helpful connections made it easy for me to move into the interim director role once my director moved on to another opportunity. I would have loved to have you in my career services department. I mean, and I thought my, I went to North Carolina a and and- Oh, ooh, I love me some A&T. We had a decent career services department, but I still feel, you know, looking back that some things were left and maybe this is just the way it is, but, you know, I'm going to ask you for your, your thought leadership on that. How are you guys pouring into the students? There are some things that you, some keys that you've been uh, mentioning, knowing your values, finding these threads, because these are all of the things that really help you find success, find what's meant for you. But I feel like there are so many people in their careers right now, either they're job searching, they want to make a career pivot. That's the piece that's missing. They don't know their values. They don't know how they add value. They don't know, I always say, who you are, what you do, how you add value. How are you guys helping students with that? Sure. So I'll say, Jerry, I feel that's one of my unique contributions a university career services thought leader. There is a whole discipline of study around career development, and that's fantastic. I have colleagues who have degrees in career development, and when it comes to theory, they are bad. Excellent. Where I believe that I bridge that gap and being a leader on my team, I have the opportunity to impart this to my team who are also coaching students is the real on the ground experience. I think that's not just only in career services, but in higher education, one of our biggest disconnects is theory versus practice. And we've got people who succeeded in learning and earning degrees but they have not necessarily had the experience of applying for jobs, being rejected, not getting the callbacks, being ghosted, having to build relationships and having to do that in settings where shareholder value is the bottom line. And so I believe that a lot of where I'm effective and where I hope enabling and empowering and equipping my team to be effective and how we coach students is, I can talk to them about how to connect on a human level interview because that's what I've done. I can talk to them about applying for a position where maybe you don't check off all of the boxes, but something in you is telling you I can do that job. I can talk to students about the importance of networking and people knowing you outside of what an eight and a half by 11 cheat a paper with 0.5 inch margins can say about you <laughs> because it's a part of my experience, both personally, but also professionally. Because remember, I hired engineers. That's why I know North Carolina A&T, we hired some amazing engineers from that institution. But I think that's the key. I would love to see higher education 
take more of a practical approach. And I want to say that that does not at all diminish the need for scholarship and our academicians. We need them. And we need people who have the practical industry experience. And so I would even say for career services teams, everybody doesn't have my background. Does that mean that they have to be less equipped to provide students with what they need to succeed in their career journeys? Absolutely not. That's where we can draw from our partnerships with companies. That's where we can bring in recruiters from industry, as well as, at least in my setting, engineers, alumni who have gone on to forge careers that they love, have them come back to provide some mentoring or to even train career coaches beyond, you know, some of the the theory that's out there. But that's what I'm focused on for myself as a career coach and also as somebody who has the responsibility of training and developing career coaches. I love that. I mean, you said something very key, you know, something that a lot of the problem that a lot of people have with education in general right now is that it's not really preparing people for the real the real deal. <laughs> so I'm glad you mentioned that. I agree with you that the right move is to get more people in the education system who have their real world experience. Because now that I think back on it, you're probably correct. A lot of the people who are in the career services department, they probably, you know, they had gone from undergrad to graduate school and maybe now they were just working there or maybe they taught someone. I mean, you are 100% correct that we need more people that real experience and background. How big of a role do you think your background played in your negotiation tactics? Like, let's talk about the money moves you made because is that normal, doubling your salary at a university in five years? Like, I wouldn't say so because, again, people tend to stay in roles for a long time. So I think in a lot of higher education settings compared to other industries, to move up money-wise, you need to not be afraid to move. And so for me, you know, as we we talked about at the beginning, I reinvented myself three, four times. So it wasn't as scary for me to reach for something else. So I would say for people in higher education, that's something, and and honestly, really in any industry, just be open to the possibility that that is maybe what it will take to get that, that dollar that you deserve. The other thing I would say is in negotiations, and this is something that we teach our students, And again, I'm very blessed that I can speak to them about it in a very practical way because I've lived it. You have to be clear on not just what you bring to the table in your current job. I tell my team all the time, what we get for doing our job is our wages. You get paid for the work that you do and the pay should be a good reflection of the work that you are doing. But when you want to ask for more, you need to have some documented wins. You need to be able to point to outcomes that you helped create and that you played a significant role in creating. And that for me, and I I think for a lot of people, was very uncomfortable learning how to do. (laughs) But it's necessary and I am 
very committed to telling my students it's important to learn it now at this stage in their career so that as they grow, it'll become more natural for them. But I got good at documenting my wins. I got good at making sure that the right people knew what I was doing so that there was less pushback, right? Either on my application when I was applying for a higher position or when I was having conversations with a supervisor at the time about my future and where I wanted to advance, I could show proof of not only how I was delivering on my responsibilities in my current role, but how I was doing work that clearly pointed to my ability to do more and contribute more. But a lot of people, we can be a little bit shy and we don't want to come across as arrogant, but there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. And it's important for people to look at those outcomes, one, to boost boost their own confidence, but then also to make a, a, a solid case for why they should be earning more. Do you think that once you had doubled your salary, had you ever considered that salary like in the ballpark for you? Or was it like, man, now I'm earning more than I even thought about? So to be honest with you, Jerry, that made me even think of I can and should be doing even more, earning even more than that. You know, to to be completely transparent, I'm a kid from a poor family, barely making it. So just to have a steady income at a certain level was like a big deal for me. But when in a few years I was able to double that, it made me then say, I should be doing this. And it opened my eyes to how much more I can do. So to be honest with you, when I think of what I bring to the table, the outcomes that I deliver, the quality of the work that I do, and the potential that I still have not fully unleashed, I should be doing more and will be doing more. And and I think that that's the Again, how experiences build our confidence, you take the ceiling off. And and that's where I am now. What advice do you have for someone who, you know, is really struggling to find their their way in their career? And like, they want to get there. They want to make the smart career and money move. You obviously, you're being very humble here that you still have far to go, but like, I'm going to give you your flowers. You've achieved quite a bit. Like you mentioned, a lot a lot of people come from basically nothing. We've achieved things that our parents and grandparents didn't even think was possible. So what do you say to people? How do you motivate people to keep going that like, you know, that next move, it might be their big break. It might be the thing. So one, get you some Jerry's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Or, you know, my best friend who I mentioned who introduced me to HR, Tamika, get you some Jerry's, get you some Tamika's, choose your circle wisely. Because, and now again, I've listened to your content enough, Jerry, to know that you speak truth. You speak in a way that helps people correct, you know, strategies and practices that are not as effective. But just as you did for me right now, you're an encourager. That's what my friend Tamika was and and all of the people in my life right now, because sometimes you don't see it in yourself. 
but somebody else might see it. And if it's somebody that you trust, listen to them because they're not lying to you. They're not saying things just to make you feel good. So I'd say that's one of the first ones. Watch your circle. Get around genuine people who not only will speak truth to you in love when you need to do better, but who also point out your gifts and affirm your gifts. The second thing is, I would say, by whatever means that works for you, document your growth, all of it. I've gotten away from it in recent years, but I used to be an avid journaler and journaling to look back on how my mindset had changed. I mentioned where I was, you know, 20, almost 20 something years ago as a kid in college and as a young HR professional, my professionalism was not where it needed to be. But when I started moving, I could look back and I saw how much more confident I was when I was addressing people with big titles. They used to intimidate me and I used to shrink. And I could see like, oh, wait, I don't shrink anymore. I can respect and honor their role and respect and honor my role and and what I have to bring to the table. So documenting the wins is not always just, oh, I got a a $5,000 raise or, oh, I got a $10,000 promotion. What are some things that you used to be afraid to do that you're not afraid to do anymore? What's a new skill that you've learned and developed? Project management. After my, at United Health Group, I'm not in a bona fide project manager role, but that's something that I can say, that's a skill set that I've obtained that I take with me in everything that I do now. And it has increased my value in the marketplace. So yeah, documenting the growth, the new skills that you're developing, the new competencies that you're developing. And the third, I'd say, be grateful for where you are, because the chances are you are right now somewhere that long ago you wanted to be. So yes, while I I definitely have loftier goals than ever, you know, 10-year-old Ulyssia would be like, this pretty dope what you're doing right now. 23-year-old Ulyssia would be like, this is pretty dope. And so on the journey to where we're wanting to go next big move, boy, give thanks and celebrate where you are right now today and all the good things, all the blessings that are in front of you right now. Excellent advice. I love it. You said so many things and I I took a note, like what kind of came to mind was when you're reflecting, what was one thing I was afraid to do or thought I couldn't do? That just, the light bulb just went off for me. Like that, that's how you really find areas that you've grown. I know this is just the beginning for you and I'm going to be following on in your journey. But one last question, what are you reading? What are you listening to? Or what practice have you put in place that helps you continue to elevate in your personal career and finances. Yes. So that last point about gratitude, that's real for me. So a commitment that I made last month, even before the new year, was to take time every day at the start of the day and at the end of the day to just reflect the phrase many of us have heard, count your blessings, doing that. Because sometimes the the work gets heavy Sometimes it doesn't seem like you're making progress, but you really are. And so that practice of counting your blessings, 
I would also say I am listening to a lot more coaches myself and seeking out people who excel in skills that I currently need, as well as in skills that I know I'm going to need. So that was one of the ways that I found you. I think I'm trying to remember who it is, but somebody that I follow on LinkedIn and got a hold to your work and was like, oh, I need to be listening to what she's doing. So that's a, a big part for me right now. Also, again, when I mentioned the importance of your circle, you have to reevaluate that circle and make sure you've got the right people. And sometimes you need to add some people. So I am now thinking about coaching in more of an entrepreneurial way, even as I do it at my university. So I'm listening to Jerry. I don't want to try to name other names of people on LinkedIn that I might mispronounce, but I would say seek out teachers, mentors, people who are excelling either in your field or if they have a skill set, public speaking, if that's something that you might want to improve, go find somebody who does it well and start listening to them. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. I love what you said about finding people and, and that you might go into coaching yourself. And so I'm going to have you back for another episode because we, we got to get into the entrepreneurial side because I know it's going to be a whole nother reinvention that my audience would love to hear about. But the audience and the listeners, they want to follow you. They want to, how can they support you? How can they, because I mean, you dropped some major gems, right? If I'm sure people were listening and they're like, she's not already a coach. <laughs> like you definitely, <laughs> you know, you're giving coach vibes. So how do we keep up with you? How can we support you? Sure. So I'd say the main place where you can find me is on LinkedIn. A lot of that has been a platform for how I want to support and coach my engineering students. But again, so much of my coaching philosophy just comes from real life. And I think it's applicable to anybody. So not many people have my name. So if you type Ulyssia in LinkedIn, you're probably going to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. I will be sending all of my new college grads your way because I kind of focus on you got to at least have two years work of experience before we can work together. But there's definitely a need. You know, these people are leaving college and they have no direction. And I love that you're here for that. I want to thank you so much for being a guest today on the podcast. I learned so much. You've been a great inspiration. Can't wait to hear and watch your next moves. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. It was my pleasure, Jerry. This was fun. And yeah, I look forward to our future conversations. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode as much as I did, be sure to hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star review, or share this podcast with those in your network that are striving to make smart career and money moves. Till next week. Bye.